back to Sports and Society. It's April 5th. This is Brad. I'm here with Kyle. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to recording a podcast about sourdough bread. <laughs> Damn, I, I missed the memo. I, that, I've been making it. rosemary uh, bread. All uh, all sports podcasts are now about bread. So <laughs> we're switching over. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing well. Um I, I have been a little depressed about my sourdough. It just isn't that good yet. <laughs> what's the what's the what's holding you back at this point? I don't know. It's kind of that intriguing part about sourdough that I'm unashamed to admit that there's so many variables that it's like a true science experiment in that way. So I don't know what it is, but it's coming out a little dense. But your rosemary's doing well. Oh, yeah. I mean, mine was super easy. I, mine is not a science experiment. Mine is where I just read the recipe online, and I'm happy with whatever comes out of the other end of it. <laughs> I, I probably should adopt some of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm referring – we may have mentioned it that uh, um, there was a tweet that went viral of um, – when can sports come back so my boyfriend will stop talking about his sourdough bread? Uh, and a lot of that applies here. <laughs> uh, yes, there is um, there's a lot of weird things happening right now. I appreciate the tweet of, um, you know, the NBA went away. And on day two, I realized that there's this woman that's been in my house called my wife the whole time. And she seems oh, pretty yeah. decent. <laughs> um I think maybe for something I have been paying a little bit of attention to in the sports world is uh, how social media is working still in the sports world mm. uh, and how meaningless so much of the content of our sports star social media is. But also how I, I'm sure when we look back over this time for maybe forever, you know, we may look back at this as a real watershed moment in a whole lot of ways. Uh, I have already started to be intrigued by that piece of it and what social media was in sports uh, just six months ago versus what it is now. Mm. And in particular, I think kind of harping back to uh, a topic that we have kind of spend so much time with and continue to unpack and it seems to be like one of the most significant issues in the sports and society world which is mental health and how um i forget exactly where i read it but it was someone that's been associated with the nba oh it was um it wasn't oh it was gosh i can't think of her name but she works for espn nba covers nba uh, she was saying the biggest change she's seen in the NBA in the last 30 years is when she far first started covering um, the league, she would go into locker rooms and everyone would be talking and hanging out. And there was a ce celebratory communal-like feel in all the locker rooms. And now the first thing every player does when they get back to their locker is check their phone. And that checking the phone lasts about 20 minutes. And then when they're finished with that, everyone is in that kind of like sedated having just checked social media for 20 minutes state. Hmm. Uh, and she kind of cites that as like, um, if not the cause, at least a marker of how social media is affecting the communal feel of places like locker rooms where these players spend most of their lives. Um, 
And so I, I guess I was just thinking about that in lieu of all the trick shots and <laughs> highlight videos and stuff that these professional athletes are putting on their social media. Well, it is interesting because it serves as a direct connection in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I mean, like, I think about Kevin Durant and, you know, he's got this well-documented background where he struggles to deal with negative things in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and you know he can see so much more of that through social media than if than Jordan ever saw during his time. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have seen the newspaper folks, but he wasn't going to see you know five hundred individual folks crapping mm-hmm. on him on mm-hmm. social media. Um, and just the the nature of the criticism, mm-hmm. uh, a sports editorial saying you played poorly. Uh, is really different than someone cursing you out and uh, not so thinly veiled racist threats, you mm-hmm. know, based on how you played in a game is really different than what you would see in a sports editorial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what about you? You said hmm. you've got a, a few things on your list. Yeah, here. so... I guess I'll start with the one that's kind of most exciting, but also I think not a particularly exciting idea, um, which I did appreciate. So the NBA did a live um, uh, uh, 2K tournament, which was kind of fun amongst the players. Um, mm-hmm. And now they're looking to organize with ESPN a horse tournament because so many of these folks have courts in their houses or outside. Oh, uh, yeah. And so they're looking to organize a remote horse tournament, um, which sounds both awful to me, and yet I have to trust that it would be something that would interest me on some level. Yeah. Um, um, But then there's also, uh, so that's that. uh, But alongside all of that, we've got our our esteemed president uh, apparently had a phone call with the heads of 14 professional leagues kind of pressuring them all to come back to normal here this summer and particularly pointing out that the NFL should start on time. So um, I just, I don't have much to say about this other than shut up. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that happened. I wonder, uh, this is a, a question about Mark Cuban saying he apparently, the rumors are flying again that he's going to run for president. Uh, and I wonder if that call had anything to do with it. <laughs> I wonder if Adam Silver call, like called all the owners after the meeting, and Mark Cuban was like, "Okay, yeah, it's time." I don't know that I would appreciate Mark Cuban, but who knows? Who knows at this point? Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. it's it is interesting. I mean, you think about our current presidents. Uh, uh, where his base is and they were the folks that would be pissed off if football didn't happen on time. So, I mean, it's from a political perspective, I understand it. Yeah. Like so often it's, it's seemingly possible to understand him, but at the same time be completely incredulous of how he even exists and operates in this world. It's, it's so amazing to me that, those press conferences are what they are. Um, they're just a complete crapshoot at a time when they should be like the calmest, most comforting space possible. Uh, and they are the opposite. They just, it's really incredible that they can't figure that out. Well, it seems amazing that Jared Kushner is the, apparently the most important person in this response. 
Uh, it's just shocking. It really is. Anyway, moving on to uh, a somewhat very different thing, but also very similar since we've mentioned the NFL. I was... I don't know what to think about this. Um, and maybe we should save this for a whole nother podcast um, to kind of dig into. But uh, I was just really intrigued by WrestleMania going on last night mm-hmm. and tonight. Um, I have had never had much interest in this stuff. Um, and yet the idea of doing it in a stadium with no fans seems really absurd. And some of the video clips just that doesn't seem right. So, um, I'm just kind of intrigued by WrestleMania in general, but also their choice to kind of go ahead with this, the way that they have. I'm with you. I I think this might be a a topic worth the whole podcast just to learn about it. Um, maybe even see if we could get someone on to talk to us about it. Uh, I, I have kind of had this question suspended in my brain of, when and how and why ESPN started to cover it. I kind of can't remember when that started. I, it just has been on ESPN's homepage now for some time such that it feels a little bit normal, but still weird for it to be there. And so I think there's a curiosity in me of like, what in the world is going on here? And a, a follow-up question would be, uh, what is it and how does it, uh, s- still exist and not just exist, but it seemingly thrives. It seems to be just a massive enterprise that I'm mostly completely ignorant of. So I yeah. would be interested to learn more about it. Yeah, I'm just I'm fascinated, particularly in, from that lens of the coverage of it. So I went, like, I wanted to figure out like what other people were thinking about this, and I couldn't find it much in the way of thought pieces about them continuing. But what I did find was a number of news articles about what happened last night um, interesting and i was like how is this news this has all yeah. been scripted right so yeah. how is this and so i'm just really intrigued by how maybe we don't have a correct understanding of it and there's something else to it but it doesn't make much sense to me that's interesting because i was actually going to bring up uh <laughs> um the wwe today in our main topic okay so it, it might could be maybe I could just use it now as a segue. Yeah, why don't why, let's, let's go right into it? Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm it. Okay, um, well I'll try and come back to it at the end of this introduction, maybe. <laughs> um, so our main topic that we wanted to kind of get into a little bit this week and unpack and see if we can extract some significance from it is. An attempt to compare and contrast the uh, White Sox throwing the 1919 World Series with the Houston Astros sign stealing in the 2017 and 2018 seasons. And so I guess a little bit of historical background is worthwhile. And so to point out that the White Sox were playing the Cincinnati Reds in the 1919 World Series. And it became apparent to many within baseball that it was happening in real time uh, insofar as the owner of the White Sox found out after the first game that his players were throwing the series. Uh, It came to take on a sort of mythical status in the years that followed. 
And I think one thing that would be interesting to talk about is how it was remembered and how it has been talked about is seemingly as important of a conversation as what actually happened. So maybe we can get into that some more. But what actually happened is that eight players were in cahoots with a ring of gamblers, really powerful gambling rings that were operating in the United States just after the turn of the century, World War One era, on into the 20s and 30s. But nonetheless, the relationship between gamblers and baseball players was an immediate relationship. They had direct contact with these gambling rings, and it was um, unearthed just recently that the players were the ones that instigated uh, throwing the World Series for money. And so, like I said, there are a lot of myths around what happened, but that's kind of the crux of the story. And then on the other hand, we have the Houston Astros stealing signs. And kind of getting into the more granular parts of this is where it seemingly gets more interesting. Uh, That being, uh, the basic story is that the Houston Astros were using film footage to learn the signs that catchers were giving pitchers. And then as quickly as possible, as in the like you know, second and a half uh, before the pitcher throws the pitch to the catcher, they were signaling to the batters by hitting a trash can and telling them if a breaking ball was coming, they would hit a garbage can twice with a bat. And if a fastball or a non-spin pitch was coming, they would make no sound. And so when this was revealed, which I think it's also interesting that, again, a lot of people in baseball knew this was going on for some time. uh, And it was kind of common knowledge amongst a lot of players in the league that the Astros were up to this. Uh, It wasn't until the Internet kind of broke the story. And very specifically, there was a guy on Twitter that gathered a bunch of footage and was able to kind of piece together the story and make it obvious uh, such that MLB was kind of forced to bring it all public and kind of have a, a public trial, so to speak, about what to do. And I guess one thing that stands out here to me is kind of putting some confines on the conversation is that the White Sox players were banned for life from baseball and the Astro players uh, received no punishment. Um, And MLB said that was because for two reasons, they needed to give the players immunity in order to find out what happened in the investigation. And then they also claimed that the players union uh, would have given them trouble were they to not give those players immunity in the Uh, investigation, meaning the players union would have kind of put up some hurdles such that we couldn't have gotten the full story. And so they decided to give the players immunity, which means none of them uh, have uh, been given any sort of punishment. So I guess the question becomes kind of in this space of like, what do we think of right and wrong in professional sports what do we think of cheating and what do we make of how these institutions handle these situations and then of course what do we do with it as fans of sports what have we learned that can help us kind of like watch more ethically and so to bring it back to wwe i think one thing that stands out when you put the white Sox uh scandal alongside the astros scandal is how significant uh, the 1919 scandal was 
and how seemingly insignificant the Astro scandal is. And I'm primarily gauging that by the response of fans. And polls of the Astros scandal kind of shows that we just don't care all that much. And even more that, we kind of like expect that it goes on. Whereas the 1919 scandal is kind of seen and used by historians as this marker of uh, losing an age of innocence. Um, I have some my own hot takes on if that's true or not. But I think what is interesting when you put that along the WWE is that WWE claims no truthfulness and is 100% uh, cheating insofar as it's like there is nothing real going on here. And it like takes away that question for the fan. And so you just, you don't only, you don't expect it to be fake. It just is fake. And so it kind of is interesting that apparently MLB is closer and closer to the WWE now Mm -hmm. uh, in that the fans just expect it. You expect it to be kind of fake. Um, And so that kind of raises an interesting question. I think that is kind of an obvious question, but just like, that's interesting. These, we used to maybe, maybe sports isn't on the pedestal that it used to be is, is maybe kind of the question I have. So that's kind of my introduction. Interesting. Well, I, I think, um, I think that's interesting to kind of find it that way. I think, um, I would label it um, a little bit differently. I do think that in the history of baseball, that the Black Sox will always probably be a more significant story than the Astros. I think what perhaps interests me the most in that significance question right now is the fact that I think that this is still, even though baseball fans don't seem to care that much, this is still the biggest baseball story since A-Rod suspension, if not going back further than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may speak to the fact that this is just the sport that is not in a good space right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're also seeing that what's perhaps more troubling than anything else is the cover-up portion of it, which is always the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the uh, one of the big stories that came out of this was that Mike Fryers, this relief pitcher for the Astros, went to the Athletics and... Uh, told them what was happening and the athletics put a report into the major league baseball saying, Hey, you need to investigate this and nothing happened. Um, uh, you know, major league baseball put out a thing that said, you know, Hey, we know some teams are doing this kind of stuff. Don't do it anymore. And the Astros just ignored it and kept doing what they're doing. And now at the end of the day, they've done this ridiculous slap on the wrist thing, which I think like if they had, you know, if they had taken Carlos Beltran, um, who seems to be one of the biggest player forces at that point and now is a manager, but uh, if they, if he were still playing and they had banned him for two years, I feel like this would be a non-story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because they chose to go so light on everybody, now you've got Mike Trout and Aaron Judge who never say anything coming out and saying these punishments are not really good enough. This is this is embarrassing type thing. Um, right which I think is uh, the biggest thing. And it's it, it kind of tears down that whole wall of the Players Association not uh, being okay with it. Like, they've been that's been shown to be a fallacious argument at this point. I think we've also seen that um, there's an absurdity in this um, 
in this argument that everyone was doing this at this point. I I believe that there's probably some level of sign stealing going on in most teams, but this seems to be egregious enough that people really are kind of taken aback by it. other players are taken aback by it. Um, so, I mean, even to the point of, um, you know, some of these, uh, you know, when you have these major players coming out and saying these things, uh, I think there's enough of them at this point. Like if it were just John Carlos Stanton, then maybe we don't believe it. But when, you know, five of the top six players in the league have come out and said, I can't believe they did this. I would have loved, you know, I would have batted much better had this been the case. Um, I think that speaks to uh, the Astros really pushing the boundaries on this. Although it was really interesting in my research to come upon, I was not aware of this, that the Astros were quite hated and continue to be quite hated for reasons independent of just this right. uh, particular thing. Right. Yeah, in some ways it seems to be emblematic of what they are already. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of part and parcel with the whole. Yeah, I I think you're right on something that seems like a central point uh, for me as well, and that being that who was wronged or who has lost in these scandals and how that translates into punishment or at least either from the institution itself but also from uh, the kind of the holistic body of baseball, not just MLB, but the fans, the players, everybody. And so I think what stands out is that who was really wronged by the 1919 scandal were the fans. And the fans felt duped and they felt that they were getting a product that wasn't authentic. And when that product was coinciding with and actively paired with nationalism, it felt unpatriotic and it felt like the mm-hmm. nation uh, had been betrayed whereas in the case of the Astros I feel like it is becoming apparent that who is wronged are the other players uh, and that the fans again don't care as much they don't feel as duped because in some ways we still got what we came for we got home runs we got an exciting World Series and that's where it feels more WWE Right, that like mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't come here for authentic sportsmanship. We and I'm saying the man very specifically there. Like we didn't come here for that. We came. We di- we didn't come here for our, our national pastime anymore. We've given up on that. Uh, that it it just doesn't exist as it as it used to in that way. And I you mentioned a Rod and all the other scandals of just our lifetime in baseball. Uh, It seems that baseball has not been free of scandals since we started watching baseball. Uh, It seems to have just always been there. And so in that way, the fans are immune now to some extent from being wronged by the product that is on the field because we look at it more like WWE. Um, And I I think that's one of the main things that stands out to me, that With the 1919 scandal, the fans got wronged. With this scandal, the players got wronged. And you mentioned the news part of it, like what makes it an interesting story. I think for me personally, and I I would guess that a lot of other people feel the same, and you kind of talked about it too, that what really became the story was what those other players were saying. Mm -hmm. That's what became compelling and interesting because we kind of got a view behind the curtain of baseball, and that just doesn't happen that often. Um, at least we don't get the 
player's impression of what life is like behind the curtain in such an insular community. And so in that way, I think that that's what really stood out to me is that the the uh, throwing of games was seemingly just so much worse than sign stealing. And what was interesting here was the player's response. Well, I think, yeah, I think there's another um, component to it as well, which I think is that it's um, there to aid the offense. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think I think I tie this in in some ways with this the, the ongoing scandal, I guess you can call it that, about um, – juiced balls and major league baseball which mm-hmm. everyone that seems to be in the know uh says that it's happening but major league baseball still um says it's not happening and yet uh none of the fans care because it gives them what they want which is a more dynamic offensive game and so i do wonder like if we i don't know what the comparable thing would have been but if there had been something that tipped off how a batter was going to respond at any given moment, like what pitch they were expecting. Yeah. Um, and it resulted in a bunch of one nil games or a bunch of shutouts. Um, I feel like that's the moment um, fans would have felt wronged or there's a difference in that moment that they're not getting what they want anymore. Uh, and I wonder how that would have changed the, the relationship and the, and the struggle of this. Hmm. Yeah, it, that leads me to think of the part of this that is also interesting in that being that there are already so many gray areas in baseball. I find it interesting that we we can see where the lines actually are mm-hmm. on those gray areas. And we've talked before about how stupid a lot of the... <laughs> kind of like unspoken rules of baseball are that there's like this uh there is a belief that there is a right way to play the game which is just so stupid uh and the most revealing thing of baseball culture to me as much as anything else uh but that there is a line drawn here and i think it's drawn so sharply by the reaction of those players so again Mm -hmm. when i say like the reaction of the players is what's interesting i think that specifically is what is interesting is that they're drawing that line so sharply so i do i want to take a moment here and step back to the black Sox and talk a little bit more about them because i do think it's stunning uh and a i wanted to give a moment here just to shout out ken burns um who did amazing work with his baseball documentary, but also the fact that he referred to the White Sox owner as quite parsimonious um, (laughs) uh, just speaks to, hey, Ken, maybe you need to change your tone a little bit here, but then again, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it was interesting in that this um, this was a situation ripe for these guys to do what they did um you know Mm -hmm. the team was not called the black Sox because of the scandal they were called that because the owners stopped paying to have their jerseys washed the players were going to have to pay to wash their own jerseys so they Mm -hmm. just refused to wash them and they wound up wearing these dirty blackened jerseys all the time um so they were all looking to supplement their income and interestingly back in that point man these baseball players were a rough rough bunch of dudes um yeah and so they were all looking because they knew that their time would come at some point. And so they needed that next thing because when their time was up, their time was up. Um, right. And uh, unlike today, they weren't making enough to make it 
through the rest of their lives. So they were trying to figure out how to make that big payday. Um, right. And not every player participated. Uh, the the number of players that participate ranges anywhere from six to eight, I think, depending upon who you believe. Yeah. Um, and I do, I, I want to draw um, some connections here between the two uh, scandals here. One being they both had effective question, uh, the questionable effectiveness um, that there's a lot of research out there that suggests that what the Astros were doing wasn't really that powerful and that it could have resulted in uh, more problems than it did successes um and the same is true that there seems to be a lot of question about how much they actually threw the series that joe jackson you know the most famous of the folks involved batted 375 and had a great series right um and that several of the other players played quite well while others seem to be focused on uh doing it in the, the kind of brainchild the, the first baseman that kind of uh led everything stated that you know, after the first couple of games, they were really trying to win because they realized the scrutiny that they were under. Um, right. And so that's a, a really interesting connection, I think, that, that efficacy question, but th- that doesn't seem to matter here. Um, the, I think that there's also a question, and this is something that I've been a little disconcerted with, with some of the reporting on the connection between these two, that uh, there seems to be a suggestion that this is the Astro stuff is different because... Uh, other people are doing sign stealing stuff now, whereas with the Black Sox, this kind of thing had never happened before. I think that that's uh, a very rosy picture of what the relationship between these gamblers and these games were early on. It never happened in the World Series, but I guarantee you there were thrown games in Major League Baseball leading up to this point. There's a reason that those players thought that they could make money off of this and approached uh, people about doing that. Um, right. Uh, and then I think it's just really interesting to think about the connection um, between uh, the two teams in terms of one being a franchise that um, where they apparently hated each other and the Black Sox. I love this thing from Ken Burns about how one of the other infield players, uh, well, during infield practice, they never threw the ball to the second baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one of the other infield players hadn't talked to the second baseman in four years. Um, that's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thing about that, and then to, to juxtapose that with the Astros, which I don't know what their player base is like, but from an outside perspective, they, uh, they have made a lot of enemies of former players, um, yeah. through cutting folks and just seem to be a place that really utilitarian perspective. Um, and so to juxtapose those two kind of perspectives against each other as well has been really interesting. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, I'll point out that really what happened with the Black Sox was they formed the first commissioner baseball position, and that's why they were banned from baseball. And now we see the commissioner uh, kind of kowtowing and trying to sweep all this under the rug when back in that point he was given the power to just say, hey, this is what needs to happen at this point. Yeah, that last piece has always been fascinating to me about the changing role of commissioners. Even now, I can't imagine uh, a commissioner of Major League Baseball having as much power as even Bud Selig did uh, just a few years ago. And it uh, never ceases to amaze me at how much power Roger Goodell has, despite so many people think he's a, thinking he's doing a terrible job and he's an idiot. Um, so the role of commissioners, I think, is uh, kind of like... Uh, really fascinating and revealing side story within all of this. Uh, you brought up a couple points that I wanted to highlight as well. 
And I don't know if uh, you came across, um, oh, let's see, um, the Society for American Baseball Research. Uh, so it's a organization of extremely nerdy historians that cover <laughs> baseball as their life's work. Which, My favorite folks, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's awesome. Uh, but they came out with eight myths about the 1919 scandal, the Black Sox scandal. And they're all really just, um, gosh, I'm forgetting names. They're they're meant to be uh, myth-busting for what was originally published in the book that uh, so much of this was based on, which is Eight Men Out. And I can't think of the mm. Asinoff. Uh, Elia Asinoff was the author of that. Uh, and he he started researching and writing that in the 1960s. Um, but essentially what um, this organization, the Society for American Baseball Research, has revealed is that it's so much more complex uh, than it is often known about and talked about in public. And, of course, that's the case of a group of nerds studying history is that it's always more complex. And what I also found was interesting that it's even more complex than the story that Kim Burns tells. Um, and they actually don't do this. They don't call out Ken Burns. But if you look at the two things side by side, you see that mm. they are calling Ken Burns out in a little bit. Uh, one in particular that you just mentioned is uh, they have evidence that 1903, 1905, 1914, 1917, and 1918, uh, all those World Series have uh, evidence that they were fixed. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and their argument is like, kind of the same argument that surrounds the Astros thing is that everybody was doing it. And so it wasn't that the Black Sox just like got this novel idea to get in contact with some gamblers. Like that all of a sudden didn't become a thing during the World Series. It became a thing during that World Series for the reasons you mentioned is like there's a socioeconomics to this. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a labor rights ar uh, argument mm -hmm. here. There's a players union conversation. So there's a social, political, and economic conversation within all of this. Um, not to mention the changing nature of the culture in which all this was happening, which is a nature that's about to enter a world war um, or has just entered a world war. Uh, times were tough for a lot of these players, even though one of the myths that this society points out is they had the highest payroll in baseball that year but that's kind of a red herring is that it's like yes they were the highest paid but they didn't have a retirement plan mm -hmm. and it was really common for a lot of working class guys to get their start playing for working class mill teams and then get called up into the professional leagues uh, and then go back to the mills once they were finished mm -hmm. playing uh, and if they got hurt or something they were done um, and so you can find a lot of sympathy, maybe, or at least uh, a lot clearer understanding of what was driving these guys. Um, and they weren't, <laughs> like you said, too. They, they, we see them all wearing the same jersey, and this is true with the Astros, too, but that that's kind of a facade as well, which kind of leans me again to that WWE <laughs> sort of thing of, like, we look at these teams and we say they're ours, um, the extent to which that true is uh, pretty minimal, I, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's a... 
it's such a weird struggle because in uh, I think in some ways what you just described is the same thing we saw with college basketball recently where you know everyone knows that these players are getting some kind of money to go to places like Duke and UK mm-hmm. and things like that and what we saw was that Adidas got busted because they did it worse than everybody else mm-hmm. uh, and in some ways I think that what we see here is that maybe the White Sox just did it worse than everybody else and so they right. got busted and that's what right. caused the change and everything right right um I did have one part of this that uh, is kind of an an aside, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Did you come across the story of the video footage from the World Series, the 1919 World Series? Uh, No, I didn't, no. So it's some of the earliest footage we have of a World Series. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It was lost for, I think, like... 60 years or something like this Hmm. Uh, and no one had a copy of it and it was discovered in um, Yukon City Um, or no that's not in the Yukon so far northern Canada uh, which the city was an outpost uh, and still is kind of an outpost city I mean it's way up there I can't Hmm. think of the name of it right now Um, hang on just a sec um Well, I'll find it in Dawson City. And the reason it was preserved in Dawson City is uh, there was a movie theater next to an ice skating rink. And they uh, decided to completely fill the swimming pool that the ice skating rink was on. um, So that, like, essentially, like, uh, fill the volume of the pool so that the ice was flatter and more uniform. And they filled it with old film footage uh, or old reels. Uh, And so it was literally preserved in ice, which is why we still have it. Um, Mm. Because most of that nitrate-based film we have from the early 1900s, we can't see unless it was preserved by someone along the way. Interesting. Uh, And so we wouldn't have that footage unless this small town had put it in a swimming pool and frozen it. Uh, And they did it so that they could play hockey on it. Well, it is... uh, that's so fascinating. And I think that um, it really is a preservation of a different time. I think it's hard for us to understand what baseball meant in the, yeah. that time period. Um, exactly. And that's where I was wanting to go with this, is to say that to watch that footage is to watch something so entirely foreign and I, unknowable. I feel like I can't know what it would have been like to be there. Mm-hmm. Um and when it's contrasted with the look of baseball in America today, I, I, I don't fully grasp how we went from one to the other. Uh, it, it, it feels impossible to completely understand how that happened. It, it seems like such a complex and involved and long story, and yet that I know that story exists and it's out there, but it still feels impossible to truly understand what it would have been like to go to a baseball game in 1919. I, I can't fathom it. Well, it was, um, you know, earlier parts of that same episode where um, Ken Burns talks about this thing. He'll talk about some of the, I mean, and some of these things are staggering to think about. You know, Ty Cobb won the bat, his first batting title on the back of uh, a clerical error, that they counted the same game twice. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is just like, what? How was that happening at this point? Um, yeah. And then, like, sneaking... Uh, 
people sneaking Cuban light skinned Cuban players on because they weren't allowed right. to have African American players and like all this stuff. And now to look at it and see what money, and that's where I go back to, is just the money has changed everything in this. Yeah. Um, they talked about, I also appreciate that they talked about in here about, uh, in there about how baseball was a really fast paced game at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And what I wouldn't give to go to a game where mm -hmm. a pitcher had a five second pitch yeah. clock or something yeah. like that. Um, exactly. That game would just be a much more entertaining game than anything we see now. Yeah. Mine is more ludite of I would love to go and not have to see all these stupid advertisements and mm -hmm. jumbotrons mm -hmm. and all these things being sold to me. Not that there wasn't advertising at games, but it just wasn't as prevalent. It would also be interesting to go in a suit and tie. <laughs> What's that like to put a suit and tie on to go to a baseball game? To do anything, yeah. To go to yeah, the grocery I, store to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what our grandfather was like, right? I mean, mm -hmm. guy starched his shirts till the day he died. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It, it was fascinating in this footage, I think, for that personal reason of thinking of Crosley Field uh, and um, thinking of our fathers going to games at Crosley Field mm -hmm. where that 1919 series was played. Like, that's pretty fascinating. Well, it was also, I was just blown away. I had, didn't know any of the Comiskey story beforehand, other than that there's a field named after him. Right, uh, right. And it's just such a classic story. This guy was actually a total ass, but we're going to celebrate yeah, him because we're going to yeah. sugarcoat all of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, my. Well, I think the last thing I got is that DraftKings lost their suit against the Astros yesterday. Oh, did they? Yeah. And I don't feel... I talk about, like, two organizations that I just don't really care about. <laughs> the Astros and DraftKings. But um, the DraftKings argument was kind of interesting. I guess they were saying that because the players were cheating, their stats were wrong, and that mm. therefore misled betters. Because you choose your team based off the statistics. Mm -hmm. But it didn't. the judge was like, no, this shut up <laughs> well it kind of goes back to that the point about you know gambling in this conversation of the black Sox and how much um you know it's funny that we refer to it as gambling when the folks actually doing the fixing never gambled they just knew what right. was what they were doing exactly um and so that yeah that disconnection of information is is an interesting piece there yeah 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 well, do you have anything else with it? I don't think so. It's uh, I really enjoyed looking back. Uh, I think what kind of struck me through this whole thing, I'll just say, and I've made fun of this. Uh, I'm not a huge baseball fan at this point. Um, uh, and it just struck me that there is a form of baseball that I would really enjoy watching. It's just yeah. not the form of baseball that the Astros and everyone else in Major League Baseball seems to be focused on right now. I had a similar feeling, and I, I it had me wonder if I would enjoy watching the College World Series, hmm. um, which I also have mentioned before. I much prefer to watch the softball College World Series as opposed to the baseball College World Series. Hmm. Uh, but it 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 did have me think. I wonder if I would enjoy college baseball more, just not paying attention to MLB anymore. Well, it, what it made me think about was would I be interested, and I don't know if there's any way to watch this, but to watch 
Dominican baseball. I had the same thought too. Yeah. Um, like, is it different down there? Is there a flair that we would enjoy right. more to it? Um, right. Or is it, uh, I mean, baseball has done such a good job at humo- homogenizing their culture. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that something we see even in these foreign leagues as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, baseball, you're not going to be playing for a while. This is your chance to come up with an exciting uh, new format. If you've watched T20 cricket, you know it works. So come on back yep. uh, and and come back with something interesting. That's a fascinating question. That'll be interesting to see how baseball is going to potentially enter that realm as well. Well, that's, I, I will say, you know, during this time, um, you know, I'm not one that thinks that these are perhaps long-term things, but what we've seen is how quickly things can move if there's an incentive for them to move. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, if the NBA were, you know, we've been talking for five years about an in-season tournament and we're like, we're at least, you know, two or three years, it feels like away from getting there. Yeah. And yet when it, the shit hits the fan, um, you can do a horse tournament in a week and a half, organizing right. it, broadcasting right. it, everything else. Right. Um, it's just it's it's a fascinating thing, and so it's like, all right, guys, you you have an opportunity here to do something interesting. What are you going to do with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a T twenty version of baseball in um, Central America. Mm-hmm. I'm, that I'm could down. be cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. Please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this. Subscribe. We'll be back next week. Um, But uh, thank you so much, Kyle. Thanks, man.